0: I just found out about that. <laughs> um, I got, yeah. yeah, we can't make decisions like that when Steve's out of the country. Um, but uh, yeah, my name is Dan, and I am the worship leader. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at the church, and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, hopefully, you got a bulletin, and inside that bulletin, there's a piece of paper that looks like this, and... I just want to bring your attention to this. This is an outreach at the First Church of Woburn. Now, um, many of you know that Pastor Freddie, who was here with us for for several years, is up in Woburn. He's in the midst of a church replant. And we're calling it a replant because the church itself was uh, planted several hundred years ago, but he is now, uh, he has taken it over and there's going to be an outreach. So similar to like what Nicole was talking about, an outreach, that's going to be Saturday, July 8th at 10 a.m. up in the First Church, Church of Woburn. And I just want to encourage you to consider um, going up and and, 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 um, and joining that. Okay, today we are uh, not in Galatians. We're going to be looking into the life of Elijah. So why don't we get a Bible and let's look at, open up to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now if anyone needs a Bible, please raise your hand nice and tall because we're going to be looking at more than just a few verses here today. And if, uh, we have them in English and also in Spanish. And if you don't have your own copy of a paper Bible, then consider this a gift from the church. But please read it. All right, 1 Kings 19, why don't we stand? Let's read the word together. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and he said, it is enough, now Lord take my life for I am no better than my father's. Let's pray. Lord we just come before you today and just thank you for the opportunity to be in your word um, and just to, uh, just to be teaching it here today and just to gather together to exalt and, and lift your name up. Uh, Above every other name today, I just pray for any other church in the city that's also doing that, where the gospel is being preached. I just pray for ready hearts to receive the word and that you would just have your way in our time now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, these first few verses of chapter 19 show the lowest recorded part of Elijah's life. He is depressed. He's discouraged. He's exhausted. And he's really ready to, to give up. In fact, you'll notice his prayer wasn't, God, please save my life. It was, God, please take my life. And this, you know, this, this is one of those stories where I, I feel like it's a really relatable piece of a biblical character. Sometimes you see someone in the Bible who's operating in a really strong capacity and you can think like, oh, I might never be able to, to do this. But then you kind of see like the human side of the, the, the person. And this discouragement, this depression of Elijah is relatable. And so today we're going to be looking all about Elijah's depression. We're going to look how the Lord ministers to him and how he moves beyond uh, the cave. So I've, I've entitled this message, Lessons from the Cave of Depression. Yes, he is under a broom tree, but he's, we'll get to the cave part in a little bit. So before we look into this, some background. Elijah was a prophet during the period of the kings, and Israel at this point was split into Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And while Judah had some good kings, Israel, they were just, they were just all bad. Um, the nation of Israel was in full-on rebellion with idolatry. And most of you will recognize the name of the king. He's an evil king named Ahab. And he's got a very notorious biblical reputation. So he's famous for a lot of the wrong things. However, at the end of his life, there, is, there was repentance However, Ahab had a wife, and her name was Jezebel, and she's just one of those characters in the Bible where there's really nothing posit- positive that can be said about her. And I bring this up because this is Elijah's mission field. He's, he's, he's in an idolatrous nation with an evil king and an evil queen. And, you know, we're going to be looking at the lowest part of his life, but you can't, we can't just isolate, I- isolate the depression. We have to look at what, what brought him to this point. What came into this. So Elijah, he was a bold man and he had incredible, incredible faith. His introduction was a few chapters earlier when he walks into the presence of King Ahab and he tells him, there will not be any rain or dew until I say so, until by my word. Just imagine that going into the king and saying, it's not going to rain until I say otherwise. You know, not being rained that's, that's economic disaster. That's, crops, that's livestock, like that's everything. All of that leads to what I think is probably the most exciting chapter, one of the most exciting chapters in the Bible, it's First Kings chapter 18. And this is this showdown on top of Mount Carmel, where Elijah goes head to head with the prophets of Baal. Now Baal was the, the, the prevalent god that was being worshipped at the, at the time, and they go head to head, so they, they set up two altars, they put a bull on each one. And then the God that would answer with fire would be the true God. So it was a real, like, there's, there's no backup plan, no contingency, no easing your way out. The God that answers with fire is the God. And the, and the 450 prophets go first. They pray. They do all these crazy things. They're cutting themselves. Nothing happens. Elijah, so confident in the Lord, is mocking them openly while nothing is happening. And then it's Elijah's turn. And he's so confident... He, he just takes water and pours it all over, all over the altar. Just imagine after three and a half years of drought, and then there's this showdown about which God is, is the most. You can imagine how scarce water must have been. And Elijah's taking that water and he's pouring it on, on the offering. He prays, then fire comes, and it takes not only the offering, but it takes the rocks and it licks up the water. So the entire thing is just taken by the, the fire of God. Well, it's not over. After that... Elijah then prays for rain. And we see, we get a quick little glimpse. You know, there's not a lot of scripture devoted to the life of Elijah. But we see a glimpse into his prayer life. Seven times he prays. It says he put his head between his knees and he's, he's, he's praying. And there's no sign for rain, but physical sign, but he's just convinced that rain is coming. After the seventh time, his servant sees a cloud. It says the size of like a man's fist. I don't really know what that might have looked like, but he tells Elijah, Elijah tells Ahab, hey, you need to leave this mountain, take your chariot, go down, because rain's coming and you're not going to be able to get out. So Ahab leaves, and then the spirit comes upon Elijah, and he outruns the chariot for a distance of 15 miles, all the way down to Jezreel. That's pretty incredible. And yet in chapter 19... After all that has happened, we find Elijah empty, we find him depressed, we find him praying that God would take his life. And if this kind of thing can happen to a person like Elijah, who's experienced the power and the finger of God that way, then I think we all better take note of that. 1 Corinthians ten twelve, our first verse here this morning, says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed. This is a, you can translate this word, beware. So maybe you're here today and you might feel immune from falling to that kind of a, a place of low. I could never be in such a depressed, low place that I would ask God to take my life. Beware. Or maybe you're already there. See, the great part about this, this uh, chapter in 1 Kings 19 is that not only is Elijah low, but we're gonna see how the Lord is gonna meet him there and is gonna lead him out of this place. And so maybe this will be an encouragement for you here today. So before we go any further, I want to speak real briefly about types of depression. You know, you hear the word depression, it's a hot issue. Um, there's many different opinions within the evangelical circles as to how Christians should deal with depression. And if you bring in like medication to medicate to not medicate, like that gets, you know, that you're not going to get people to agree on that. And, you know, not everyone will deal with clinical depression, um, the kind that you might get diagnosed with, but yet at some point, everyone will feel depressed. And this passage doesn't really, you know, differentiate between the two. And I, uh, I just love is that while Elijah falls into this place, he's very low, that God's going to lead him out of it. But in terms of depression, you know, Second Peter 1 verse 3, it says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. All things for life. That's what God has given us. So we all as Christians need to come to terms with a verse like that. What does it mean? He's given me all things for life. Well, again, today's message, we're going to look at a couple things that the Lord does to get Elijah out of this place. So, In order to really understand how he got into this depressed state, we need to look at a couple mistakes that Elijah made. Again, there's not a lot uh, poor that you could say about Elijah, but we do see a couple things here. Three things. He feared, he forgot, and then he fled. Let's look at the fear part. So, Elijah had been extremely bold with King Ahab. He had uh, just... And after... After on Mount Carmel, after the prophets of uh, Baal had failed to pr- produce fire, and, and then God sends on his fire and the altar is consumed, he then takes to the sword. they go into the valley and kills 450 prophets. But then Jezebel makes this threat. We just read it. Verse 2, she says, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. Jezebel makes a threat and all of a sudden he is very, very fearful. Now, a few things about Jezebel. She was not uh, a native of Israel. Um, Ahab had married someone else and with her, she came, she brought in this new season of idolatry. There was this great uh, pervasive worship of Baal and we also know if you have read 1 Kings and as a student of the word, you know she has a pretty strong control over her husband in chapter 21, there's this whole thing with this vineyard that Ahab wants, and Jezebel is behind him the whole way, manipulating the situation, helping him get what he wants. So there's, there's like a real reason to fear, um, because she was a, a powerful woman. However, in his fear, Elijah forgets. God had just proved himself to be higher than the name of Baal. So, you know, regardless of Jezebel being a top, a promoter of this idol. Like God had just gone head to head with Baal itself and and Baal was silent, whereas God answered in fire. And Elijah had also seen how God sustained him through a drought. I mean, because of time, I'm not getting into it, but during this drought, like the Lord is so faithful to Elijah. He fed him by a river. He fed him by ravens. He He had ravens come bring meat to him every single day. I mean, so we say like God is faithful. Elijah lived God's faithfulness Um, in the midst of a really hard time. But he gets fearful, and in his fear, he forgets. And then the last thing, he fled. He fled to Beersheba. It says there in verse 3, it says he went to Beersheba. What you may not know is that Beersheba is about 100 miles from Jezreel, and it's in Judah. So he literally ran out of the country. He ran out of Ahab's jurisdiction And he ran out of the place where God had called him to minister. Consider the fact that Elijah had just been empowered by the Holy Spirit to outrun a chariot. Now, a chariot being pulled by a horse down a mountain. He he outran the chariot for 15 miles. And that sounds pretty incredible. But his fear drove him almost 100 miles. You know, fear is an incredible motivator. And the spirit of fear really comes over Elijah as he runs for his life. 2 Timothy one seven. if you don't have this memorized, I highly encourage you to consider memorizing this verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That verse, yeah, not, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. This is what happens when the spirit of fear takes over. You run out of your country further than you thought you were capable of going. So, you know, as I look at 1 Kings 19, I, I want to know, like, okay, so I, I understand the fear part. I understand the fleeing part. I understand the forgetting part. But why the depression? Like, why, what, what is the connection there? So I just want to offer a few reasons for this. You know, I think it's fairly clear that Elijah was suffering under an intense spiritual attack. There was a renewed spirit of idolatry that Jezebel brought in. And whenever there's a spiritual battle about who is going to be worshipped, just know that behind the scenes, there's always warfare that goes with that. Um, the second thing, he bought into this lie that he was isolated, that he was the last one. Look at his prayer, verse 4. He said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And um, yeah, in verse 14, Later on, we'll get there. But he says, I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Elijah really believes that he's the last believer alive. He's the last one. That's what happened to him in his mind. He's really kind of saying like, woe is me. Um, And this isn't a position coming from a sound mind. He he truly believed he was the last one. You know, at the end of the chapter, God's going to show him how that was wrong. God's going to show him that there's a remnant. The biblical model is that there's, there's a remnant, and it may not be a large one, but there, but there is one. And at the end, we see that there are 7,000 people who had not bowed down to Baal. But back to verse three here, the very last part of verse three, he left his servant there. So we see Elijah feeling alone. He believes that he is alone. And then the one person that might be helpful to him, we see him pushing him away. We see him saying, I'm good on my own. You need to stay here. And... You know, at minimum, his servant was someone who would have been helpful to him. In the previous chapter, you see him helping him with uh, various pieces of ministry. He was the one that was looking out for the the rain club. But Elijah is pushing him away. And so verse four finds him under the broom tree, asking God to take his life. You know, feeling alone, I think, is very relatable. (laughs) And uh It's one of those things where at some point you're going to feel alone. Many of you know that uh, I'm a public school teacher, and I used to work with a wonderful paraprofessional. She aided me in the classroom. She had great command of the kids, and she had been in the school for years. She had been in the school for so long that (laughs) when I was helping her clean out a box a couple years ago, we found her original date of hire to the school, and it was three months to the day before I was born. So she had been there for a minute. She had seen the generations come through, but the best part, so she was an incredible asset, but the best part was that she loved the Lord. She was a Christian, and every single day, I had the privilege of going in front of the, city, the kids of the city of Boston to teach them, and I had this camaraderie, this fellowship this, of this of this woman. Each day before the kids would come in, we would pray, we would lift up the challenges, and we knew there would be challenges coming through the door. So we were able to really pray together about them. Um, when something would come up throughout the day, we would often pray. And, you know, she was, she was older and definitely from the old school. And so when a kid started acting wild in class, she'd lay hands and pray the blood of Jesus over him, like right on the spot. Like she wasn't, she wasn't asking permission, right? And it was, it was just amazing to, just to have that kind of workplace environment. Oh, God, I'm in a dark place, but I've got my one, my, my one person, and that makes it okay. In 2020, she retired. A lot else happened in 2020, and that's all we're saying about that. But what followed for me was this sense, similar to Elijah, I'm the last person alive here. There's, like, self-pity that crept into my heart. Like, because there's this weird thing where if you think that you're really the last person then you must think, oh, well, I'm super important. I'm like the endangered species of like all Christians. So, and that's just like, that's just something that the Lord had to correct in me. It's, it's not true. Again, God's, God's always has a remnant. And in time he would teach me more about that. But as a Christian, you know, we need to understand what the words of Isaiah 41.10 say. God says, fear not for I am with you. Do you really need anyone else? As a Christian, you know, we need to learn not only that God is with us, but in those times when you feel alone, just need to get to the place of receiving comfort from the fact that God is with you and you never truly are alone. Jesus was alone. Jesus went to the cross. The father forsook him. He turned his back on him. His disciples fled. Jesus knew what it meant to be truly alone. I don't know what it's truly meant to be alone. And I thank the Lord for that. So, back to Elijah. The last reason I want to suggest that he fell into this depressed place was that he was empty. He had just poured out mightily in ministry. And you know, it's easy to feel empty after serving because you are. And if you've been on the ministry team for a while or you're hanging around people on the ministry team, sometimes you'll hear people in ministry talk about pouring out. It's the act of doing ministry. And... Um, you know, if I were to take this water and dump it out, like, here's the most simple point for anyone to understand in this room. If I dump this out, this will be empty until it's filled back up, right? Because when you're pouring out in ministry, you actually are, you actually are giving of yourself. But for it to be filled back up, water has to go back into the bottle. And I have felt firsthand that sometimes there is a spiritual low, and emptiness that can come off of a great spiritual high. So consider, again, everything in First Kings 18 that I just talked about. Um, that had happened, Elijah had poured out and now he is empty. He needed to be refilled. And this is gonna bring us to the first of five points that I hope to make today from First Kings 19. And don't worry, I'm a teacher. I'm gonna say this more than one time, so if you don't get it the first time, it's, it's okay. We need to beware and we need to be filled. That's the first thing that we need to do. Elijah is empty. He needs to be filled back up. You know, we talk a lot about devotion life here at Calvary Chapel. Having a time alone with the Lord. Time praying in the word, uh, praying to the Lord. A time feeding on the word of God. We talk about it a lot for good reason. Because getting filled up and hearing God's voice is not a religious exercise. It's the difference between navigating a dangerous road safely and driving your car off a cliff. Let me say that again. Getting filled up and hearing the Lord's voice isn't a religious exercise. It's the difference between navigating a dangerous road safely and driving your car off a cliff. We are weak. We need to be filled up daily to fight against, I'm going to say three things, our flesh, our culture, and the devil himself. Elijah surely is getting hammered by the enemy here as he fights against the spirit of idolatry. Well, 1 Peter tells us in regards to the devil that the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So again, the point is you need to beware and you need to be filled. So let's look at lions here for a second. Lions do not devour the strongest animals in the flock. They look for the weak ones. Lions also stalk their prey before attacking. I'm going to read a direct quote off the National Geographic website regarding lions. It says, Their attacks cause prey to panic and disperse, allowing the lions to isolate and attack a weaker or slower individual. By hunting together, lions are able to exhaust and kill their prey. Look at this. Isolate their prey, exhaust their prey, kill their prey. In that order, the Bible likens the devil to a lion. If we are not fortified, if we're not strengthened, we're going to be naturally weak against the, the attacks from the enemy. Just, just point blank, we are. We also need to be filled in order to deal with our flesh. The Bible says that our hearts are, are wicked and that the old man needs to be put off or, or put to death. And Pastor Steve's done a great job these last several weeks in talking about this internal war that we have within us. We have the spirit and we have the flesh, and they both live there. So forget about the roaring lion of the devil for a moment. We've got a problem internally for, for any Christian. You've got this flesh that will never be full, that always wants more, and then there's the spirit that needs to be renewed. Romans 12 tells us we need to, trans, we need to renew our minds. And um, this needs to be a daily thing. In regards to our culture... It's, we're not so different from Elijah. We're not so different from Israel. We're in the midst of a pagan culture. It feels like every week something, I see something where something in our culture has exalted itself to kind of exist where this whole problem of God and Jesus doesn't have to be a part of the equation. We're writing him out as a culture, and this is the place where we are. So similar to Elijah, we need to be filled up. So you know, even with being filled up, there will be valleys, and I, I, I do want to give that caveat. It's not like if you have a daily devotion with the Lord, then you're never going to have a bad day, or you're never going to get into a low place. In fact, the word depressed literally means to cause to sink to a lower position. And the Christian walk is often described as a journey that spans from peaks and valleys. Um, I'm not excusing any of Elijah's sin here, I'm also not excusing any of my own sin because I've been—I've already shared. I've already been in a place where I've been low, like Elijah. Um, But sometimes you might hear this idea from Christians that, like, you know, it may not be said explicitly, but that it's not okay to be sad. It's not okay to be depressed. You might hear things that kind of make you think that living life as a Christian, everything's happy all the time, and I'm highly favored and greatly blessed. And this kind of, a, kind of a dismissive attitude towards having bad days. Now, if you're a child of the king, if you are a Christian, you are highly favored and you are blessed. But I do just want to say that trials are promised to us. That's a promise. Jesus promised in this world you will have trials, you will have tribulations. But the next part is important. But take heart for I've overcome the, the world. So it's going to happen. But our response is very important to that. So the second thing we need to to look at, whether you are struggling in a pit of depression or whether um, you're trying to avoid it entirely, is you need to be moving forward. We're going to talk about this one for a few minutes. Let's look at Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. When you're in a pit of depression, you can lay there or you can put one foot in front of the other and you can move forward. The Christian model for us, the biblical model is that we are pressing on just like that. And, and Steve has mentioned this the last couple of weeks as well that, uh, and, and actually I think it was Pastor Serge that our walk as a Christian, we're moving forward, we're not necessarily running We might be walking, not sprinting, but putting one foot in front of the other. And to see this, let's look and see how the Lord ministers to him. This is powerful. Let's read verses five, starting in verse five. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Elijah takes a nap and he eats. In the Old Testament, when you see the phrase angel of the Lord, this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. So look what happens here Jesus meets him in this bad, depressed, banged up place, and he tends to his needs. Elijah had shown transparency in his prayer. And Jesus meets him right there. Notice that Jesus feeds Elijah. And you need to know today that God wants to feed you as well. Psalm 81.10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Notice, He is reminding, I already brought you out. Open your mouth, I'm going to fill it. John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So I'm not speaking literally here, um, although God's promises are clear about provision on the Sermon on the Mount, but your spiritual food. And I have to ask you today, what are you hungry for? If you're hungry for the Lord to be fed by the Lord, he will fill you. If you are thirsty, he will fill you. You know, it's a beautiful thing about a promise from God. There's one thing that God cannot do; He can't deny Himself. So, if you're coming hungry, you will be fed. On a very practical note, here, you know, I'm not talking about spiritual food now. Um, Let's talk about fatigue for a second. (laughs) We're 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 pretty frail creatures here. One day in our glorified bodies, we're not going to need naps. We're not going to need meals. We're not going to need to drink. But guess what? We're not there yet. We are not there yet. Any parent who raises a toddler knows that there comes a point where where a child gets so exhausted you cannot have a rational conversation with them. And look what the Lord does here. He gives them two naps and two meals before he says anything to them. Christian, if you're tired today, Get a meal and take a nap um, because because the lord does he's going to he has things to say he 's not withholding his words because he doesn 't have anything to say he knows he 's not ready. My wife Danielle, knows that if we have to have an important conversation and if it 's after midnight, that conversation's going to wait why because i can 't handle it I need to go to bed like i, I can't i can 't think to have the, the brain power for that kind of a thing I mean the term it 's kind of a a very millennial term, hangry, but it's true. If you're, if you're so hungry that you can't think of straightly, you gotta deal with those things. That's not the place where God wanted him to always be, but look it. He feeds him, he, he, he sends him to bed, and then it's time to, to, to hear from the rest of what the Lord has to do. So let's look at verse eight. He arose, he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? We're going to break down this question, because I think God is asking some of you that question here today. What are you doing here? Look at the first question, the word in that sentence, rather. What? Elijah is going to give his answer in verse 10. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. If you look closely, you'll notice Elijah doesn't even answer the question. God asked him, what are you doing here? And Elijah told him why he was there. That's not what God asked. Elijah gives an excuse. God wants to know, what is the purpose that you're here? What was it that brought you to this place? God's not interested in his excuses. The second part of the question, he says, what are you doing here? Notice that, Elijah, that God didn't ask Elijah what happened before. This is encouraging, particularly if you're in a low place even right now. God did not say, why did you run 100 miles Why did you leave the place I was you were supposed to minister from? Why were you fearful? God does not ask that. He asks, what are you doing? Present tense. And if you're in a place of depression or discouragement, the past can really be a serious trap. It can be something that's hanging over your head. And when you think about getting out of that place, the past can come up and and can really create problems. Oh, I can't get up early to have a devotion. I'm always too tired when I do that. Oh, I can't go out and pray. I always get distracted. My phone always rings. You're thinking through things in, in light of a past failure from that. Or even more personal, I can't apologize to that person. I'm surely going to just do it again. Right? Like, and so, so we get to this place where we need, to, um, we need to learn to address current problems in spite of past mistakes. Philippians 3:13, if we could get that up there, it says, "Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The devil loves to bring up the past and hang it over our heads. But guess what? The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. They're new every morning. I need them every morning, and you need them every morning as well. Because we're not going to stop falling short. It's not like a one-time thing. Oh, I got that out of my system. I'm never doing that again. We may fall down again, but we need to be moving forward. So the second point um, was be moving, was B moving forward. And just to emphasize this like a little bit more, I want to, um, I want to talk about David just for a second. You know, there's this thing that I, I don't think anyone else talks about it like this. I call this the David mentality. This is the moving forward mentality. David was a man that knew how to get up when he'd fallen down. David was also a man that knew a lot about depression. In Psalm 13, this is a psalm that David wrote. David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? This is one of David's psalms. David knew about feeling low, about feeling depressed. But David also, as I said, was was someone that knew how to get up when he had fallen. Because if you know the life of David, he committed some pretty serious sins. The most uh, infamous of his sins was the whole Bathsheba incident, which wasn't really one sin. This was a snowballing of multiple things that included adultery, included murder, and a cover-up story, that was ultimately exposed. And the crazy thing about that, if you read that passage, is that if Nathan had not gone and confronted David and said, you are the man that had done this, we don't know if David would have come around. But ultimately, when David's confronted with his sin, his response is phenomenal. And I want to encourage you with this today. Let's look at 2 Samuel 12, 20. It says, so David arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. David's response wasn't, Oh, I might just lust after another woman one day. There's no way I can get out of this hole right now. I can't I can't make a change. He didn't say, I may try to cover up my sin again. He got back up, he changed his stinky clothes, he ate a meal, he went to the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. He moved on. He moved forward. Again, the question to Elijah, what are you doing right now, Elijah? What are you doing here? The last word that the Lord says is he uses his name. He says, Elijah. God addresses him by name. We need to know that God is correcting him in a very personal way. It's not impersonal. It's not cold. You need to know even in your lowest point that you are God's creation He's made you wonderfully, he's made you fearfully, and he loves you. Psalm 139, verse 17. This is also David. He writes, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God, They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. David is a man that knew that God loved him, and God's thoughts towards him were wonderful. We're running short on time here. So in verses 11 and 12, if you know the story you know, Elijah comes out of the cave for God to show him another display of his power. There's wind, there's an earthquake, and there's fire, and they all pass before the mountain. You would expect to hear God in one of those things, particularly because chapter 18 was about God showing his authority and his power through fire, and then through the rain. Torrential rain came after that. But here, the voice of God was not found in those things. How many times have you prayed about something and you just wish God would like write it in the clouds or a truck would be driving by and there'd be a billboard that would be the exact answer that you are praying about? It sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, even to me, but I've done it before, right? God's not answering that way. Consider that just because you're not hearing from him doesn't mean that he's not speaking. Elijah had to learn how to hear that still, small voice. And I'll read the verse here. In verse 12, after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. We need to learn to discern his voice as you sit in the word and you discern him speaking in the same way, the still, small voice. You know, I'm far from an expert when it comes to this. But I have seen in seasons, seasons of my life when I have been seeking the Lord with frequency and desperation. Those are the times when I hear the most from the Lord. Which at this walk in my life, you know, five years from now, I might have, I might have something more significant about this to say. I've, I've, I've reached the conclusion that it's not that God is not speaking. It's that my desperation isn't big enough. I'm not coming to him with everything. I'm not listening not listening for that still, small voice. And I don't want to miss it. Well, We'll look what that still, small voice says. Verse 13. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah had not figured out everything yet here. So the Lord's going to give him three directions. And our final three points for what we need to be doing are going to come out of what the Lord says. Let's look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael, the king over Syria. The first thing God says to him is go return your way. God's saying, Elijah, get out of here. And this might feel like unhelpful advice, particularly, particularly if you are in a low or in a depressed place. Someone coming and saying, hey, get out of here. That's not, that may not feel helpful. Most people who are depressed would probably admit they don't want to be feeling depressed. But God still had plans for Elijah, and they weren't where he was. See, Elijah had sidelined himself by, by leaving the place where God wanted him to minister. For us today, let's consider for a second where Elijah was. He was on Mount Sinai. Think about what Mount Sinai represents in the Bible. It's synonymous with the place where the law was given. Now, Elijah lived under the old covenant. This was years before Jesus Jesus would come. And at this point, the, the sacrificial system was still in place. I'm so thankful that I do not live in the old covenant. And so for us, we have to look at what God's saying here. He's in the place of where the law was given and God's saying, get out. So for us, if you're walking in a place under the law, you need to leave. You need to get out of a place of being in the law. Point number three, be walking in grace. And again, Pastor Seesman, the whole study of Galatians has really been about this, about, about Jesus plus nothing is what we're supposed to be doing. When we add anything according, uh, to, our, to our faith in that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for all that we would ever need, we're adding law to what he has done. And if that's you, you need to get out. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 says that the law brings death. Romans tells us that as Christians, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's That's not meant for us. Jesus bore the curse for us. He bore it for you so that you would not need to bury that for yourself. So if you're trying to work your way out of your cave, that's the law, you need to stop, you need to walk in grace. So this might sound a little contradictory to the last point about be moving forward. Um, But just know, you know, there are things that we need to do to be moving forward, practical daily things. But know that these practical daily things, they are not, that's not your salvation. That's not your justification. That's all resting on the shoulders of Jesus, that he did that for you. You need to walk in grace. Next, Elijah is instructed to anoint two kings. So anointing was often used in designating a king. And for us here today, here's the the fourth point for us here today. You need to be anointing the King of Kings regularly. This is worship. Point number four, be worshiping always. Worship is a powerful and effective weapon against depression, anxiety, and discouragement. It gets our eyes off ourselves. It gets our eyes off our circumstances and onto the Lord. And it's a really powerful thing to be in a place of discouragement, to be in a place of depression, and choose to worship. Why? Because it takes faith. You have to look beyond the things that are in front of you and make that choice. Let's look at the end of Psalm 13. I just showed this a few minutes ago. I showed you the first two, and this is like the sad first verse in the first two verses. Look at how David ends this Psalm. But I have trusted in your mercy my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here's the thing with worship it will transform your heart. You can't worship the King of Kings. You can't say Jesus and nothing else and really focus on that and stay in this pit. You just can't do that. We see here in Psalm 13, David is transformed. He went from this place of saying, God, why, how long will you forget me? Is it going to be forever that I'm going to exist and you don't even see me? He goes from that to, I will rejoice in your salvation. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I, it's hard for me to be in the pulpit and not bring up worship, but it's not, it doesn't have to do with music per se because this needs to be a part of our life. But as a musician, I can't tell you how many times my mind, I have felt it going into a place where it's just, it's just not good. A discouraged, low, empty place where I know the enemy's probably feeding me lies and I'm buying them up. And I've had to choose to take this instrument. So this is a guitar. I like to think of this as a sword because that's what I use to fight back against the enemy. And I've sat, sat in the obscurity of my own house and I've had to do what David's doing right here. You don't have to play guitar to be able to do that. But you do need to have a relationship with, with, with worship. And it's, if you're in that place, that low place, worship and be transformed. You know, worship's a choice. And doing nothing is also a choice. We're all, we all worship something, we know this. Um, and, and it may cost you something. And I just want to add on to this point, you know, the, the Bible refers to worship regularly as a sacrifice of praise. So think of the word sacrifice. In a sacrifice, something dies. In David's case, his self-pity goes onto the altar, it dies. He sacrifices that to the Lord. It might be your past defeats, your past. You You may be in a position today where something from your past that you can't get rid of needs to go onto the altar and needs to die in order for you to worship the king of kings. The third and the last, or excuse me, the fifth point here, may not seem like a natural anecdote to depression and discouragement. But God tells Elijah to go find this other guy named Elisha and anoint him as prophet in his place. In other words, God says, go disciple Elisha. Point number five, be a discipler. It may be strange for Elijah to be told to go pour out into yet another person when he's been in this low place. But similarly to worship, discipleship gets your eyes off of yourself. You should also know that discipleship is a commandment for all Christians. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, some of the last words Jesus gave before going to heaven were, go and make disciples of all men. Now you might think, oh, I don't know enough about the Bible to disciple someone. Well, I want you to think about it this way. Find someone and tell them one thing that the Lord has taught you, and if they keep on listening, tell them another thing. You feed that person with what you have been fed you know we 're big about discipleship around here from the two sevens, and the leadership of the church a couple of years ago uh, read a book that was all about discipleships and I just want to encourage you discipleship. The Jesus way of discipleship, it's not by finding a whole flock. It's not by finding 5,000 people and and, and ministering in the way Jesus did. It's in the ones. It's finding that one person and, and pouring into that one person. So the last thing about Elijah and Elisha, we know that Elijah was a pillar amongst all biblical characters. But Elisha did twice the amount of miracles that Elijah did. Here's the cool part. We don't know what's going to happen with the seed that's planted, once it's planted, because that's not our that's we're not in the, we're not in the growing business. We're in the sowing business, right? And so, as we plant the seed, the Lord does things here. And Elijah would leave, and he would go find Elisha. And the last point in all of this, before before we we close here, is that God tells him these things, and Elijah has a choice. Notice that Elijah is obedient to it. verse 19 so he elijah departed from there and found elisha the son of shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he was the 12th and then elijah passed him and threw his mantle on him we have a choice to obey we have a choice to put our head in the sand but either one's a choice so if you're in this place i want you to consider what what we've looked at here in these in these verses and say, what, what, what am I going to do about this today? The first one, beware and be filled. The second one, be moving forward. The third one, be walking in grace. Be worshiping always. And fifth, be a discipler. Eventually Elijah would get out of this cave and, and it would happen right here and he would be put back into a place of usefulness for the Lord, but he had to leave the cave to do that. So at this point, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, I want to call up the worship team and we're going to have prayer couples up front like we always do. So make it personal. What, What about you? Are you sitting here today in a place of discouragement or depression? Maybe you resonate with a place where Elijah began. And if that's you, I want you to come up and have someone pray for you. I want to share a real powerful verse. If you get the weekly emails from the church, this is in the bottom each week, about a 9.30 prayer time. James 5.16 says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you're in a depressed state today, know that this is not God's best for you. If you're caught up in a place of past failure, you're having trouble moving forward, come up and receive prayer. Do not stay in the cave. And maybe one of these other things you know, uh, whether it's you need, you need help with, with being filled or practical things or you just feel stuck or not moving forward, your worship life needs, needs help. If any of this resonated with you, come up and, and, and get prayer. But, you know, there may be someone in this room who has, never, who has never gotten to the starting point of all of this and that's making Jesus king of your life. You know, this message today, it's really about sanctification. That's, that's the long process that we walk as as humans as flawed humans where the Holy Spirit inside of us makes us more to the image of Jesus but the first thing has to happen first and that's you need to make Jesus king of your life the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God it doesn't have to be a big sin like what we talked about with David any small sins will make you will make it you less than God's standard which is perfection but again the best news here gospel it means good news Jesus paid the price for you So if you're sitting here and you've not put your faith in Jesus to have taken your place, conquered death and carrying your sin, if you've not repented and believed that, then this message really isn't for you. And so if you're in that place, I encourage you to come up and to be prayed for as well. Or anything else that you would like prayer for, please um, come on up. We see a couple people here. Why don't we all stand here together today and I will close us in prayer. And then the worship team will, will um, close the service. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you truly have given us all things for life and godliness. And Father, I just pray for anyone that might be in a place similar to Elijah today. I pray, Lord, that you know just you minister to them and um, my own heart as well, Lord. I just uh, recognize. Um, that tomorrow morning I'm gonna to need to come to you and get filled up again as well. Lord, let us be a church that's, that's filling up regularly. We pray this in Jesus' name.